at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. And we say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus, we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, uh, you can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers will get one to you. And if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, Damien, is Asher right there close by? I think I just saw him walk out. Uh, Won't you have him come in just for a moment? Uh, I'm going to have him fix these lights or I'm going to be distracted by the yellow that's in my face. Uh, So uh, uh, we'll get that taken care of in just a moment. Hey, we're going to be starting a new series in uh, the book of Genesis. And so I want you to turn uh, uh, to the front of the book. I don't have to say this time. You'll find it much faster if you go two-thirds of the way through. Or if you start in the back of the book, I think somebody's helping me. That's yellow. That's not it yet. Maybe hits. Uh, Are they right there? They're not right there. Okay, here we go. Uh, I need you to put just the speaking lights on. These are yellow for whatever reason. Uh, Go ahead and... Are they on? That's all you got for me. Okay. All right, you got to, hold on a second, take, take the toggle off of creamsicle, <laughs> but I have to say that, put the speaking on, this is it, this is not it, all right, pray for us, uh, okay, open to the book of Genesis while our interns mess everything up, uh, it's blinding us, should I take them down while you're sitting, yeah, okay, we're going to need to take those off, I need you to... Okay. Yes. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you are to us. Help us. Give me grace. Uh, give us grace to uh, know you more clearly uh, as we study your scriptures. Uh, help us with this new book that we are starting this morning in Genesis. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Turn into Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and I want you to read the opening verse with me. Are you ready? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's our verse today. It's going to take us six years to get through this book. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. If you go two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you'll find it much faster. If you start in the back, 
and turn left. Are you there? Amen? Read this with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. Let's pray again. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today. Help us in all things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. How many of you would believe yourself to be a creative person? Just go ahead and, I know that you don't want me to single you out, you artist in the room, uh, but we're going to see, how how many of you believe yourselves to be a creative person? Right, about about half of us, right? Uh, and, And the other half, it was there a point in your life where you felt more creative than you do now? How many of you, when you were a child, you were creative? How many of you think it's fascinating to talk to a child who is uh, a child? (laughs) You're like, what did you you just say? What did you come up with? What are you playing? What are you doing? See, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but at one point in time, you were a child 100% of the time, right? Do you remember, you remember that? Thank God you don't remember most of it, right? Especially, especially the, the, the formative years, the young years, all the time. My, my kids are coming up to me, and uh, I, I got some creative kids, and, and, and they're creative in different ways. And, and so you go, hey, one kid's creative and not another. Let me tell you, all kids are creative. You are creative. You have just forgotten your creativity. And, and, and here's what you realize is they are genius in the things that they come up with. You're fascinated. How many of you, as you get older, you go, I could never do that, right? I could never, man, they are way more advanced than I was. And, and it's almost as if uh, the, the story of Peter Pan has some merit to it, that, that, that there's this never land where you never grow up. And, and, and if you remember the movie Hook with Robin Williams, uh, it's the idea that Peter Pan got old and forgot that he was Peter Pan, and he has to remember all these fantastic things that he did when he was young. And, and I think oftentimes, I, I, I think we need to remember just who God created us to be, and when we were young, we tapped into that creativity more than, than we do today. And oftentimes, sediment and life uh, can, can, can kind of erode some of that creativity, or, or maybe criticism begin to squash that creativity. And maybe someone was jealous of that creativity or they didn't understand that creativity. And yet Jesus says this fascinating thing. He says, the kingdom of God is likened unto a little child. Do you remember that? Do you remember the kingdom of God is like children? And so he's telling us something that, that, that is a part of the human reality that kids can teach us things or remind us of things we know to be 
true. And I think it has to do with this opening verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God did what? Created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, what a fantastic verse. What a controversial verse. See, we're starting this book, and this book, if we were honest, can be a daunting book. This can be a scary book. If you spent time in the New Testament, it, you'll read about the person of Jesus, and people are quickly, uh, they, even, even the most cr- uh, staunch critics of religion and Christianity can somehow get down with Jesus. But uh, C.S. Lewis kind of throws that argument out of people who would say, well, I want to embrace Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but I can't get down with him being God incarnate. I can't get down with this idea of virgin birth. I can't get down with this idea that he died for the sins of the world. He was buried and rose again three days later. I mean, I can get down with the teachings, him as a good moral teacher. But see, C.S. Lewis made famous this argument that you cannot simply put Jesus in a category of good moral teacher because of the things that he said. Things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, a way that ought to be. I am truth, and I am uh, life itself. So anything outside of Jesus, he's saying is simply existence and not truly life. And and he even makes the claim that if you believe in him, you would have eternal life, life that death cannot stop. Well, friend, if that is not true, he cannot be a good Teacher, if he's saying that he is actually the way to life and all truth is found in him and he is life itself, if that's not true, there's, there's only two other categories if it's not true. He's a liar, a con artist, and C.S. Lewis says maybe, maybe even he's evil itself. He might even be Satan himself. If he knew those statements were not true and made those statements, he would not be a good moral teacher. He would be a wicked man. He, he would be Satan himself. Or maybe he was crazy. Maybe he was a lunatic. Maybe he was a lunatic on the same level as someone who claims to be a poached egg. Maybe he thought that his claims were true. Maybe he was just crazy. But then how could crazy go viral for thousands of years? You've met crazy and you dismiss what they say as soon as they say it. And yet Jesus' words have been going viral for thousands thousands and thousands of years and so you only have one of three categories to put the person of Jesus he's either liar he's lunatic or he's the Lord and we should fall to his feet and worship him and yet people who are staunch critics of the Old Testament or even of Genesis itself, those who claim to be rational, those who claim to be logical, those who claim to be scientific in their pursuit can say, I can get down with Jesus as a moral teacher, which is not logical at all unless what he says is actually true. 
It's not reasonable to believe that Jesus is a good moral teacher on the same lines as anyone else from Krishna to Muhammad to, uh, to Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, well, I can put him on those same levels, but it would not be rational or logical to do so if you actually studied the claims of Jesus. Because the claims of Jesus caused his followers to go from cowards to courageous Bible preachers, and it would cost them their lives. So he cannot be just another teacher on the same lines as these others. That would be not logical or reasonable. And so then you would have to decide he's a lunatic or he's a liar and he's wicked. And yet, people who make those claims then are also the people who say that the reason why they cannot begin to take the book of Genesis seriously is because of their reason, because of their logic. See, we're going to start this series and it's going to begin to trouble us in some interesting ways. It's going to upset you in some interesting ways. It's going to offend you in some ways that maybe you didn't know before. And, and, and it will cause you to wrestle with what you actually believe. See, we all have to wrestle with what we believe. Essentially, we have to begin to wrestle with what do we believe about the world in which we live. We simply call this a world view. And your worldview will determine how you see this series. Your worldview will determine whether or not you will actually read the words in Genesis, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Your worldview will, uh, will begin to decide how you see these words and whether you adhere to those words and whether or not you are willing to accept the preceding words from here going forward. There's a lot of twists and turns that Genesis is going to take us on. It's the start of the book for a reason. It tells us the story of God to the world, Genesis 1 through 11. Then it begins to zero in on the people of God, God to this one individual, Abraham and his family. We'll see God interacting with his creation. But whether or not you accept that or not will be determined on your worldview. Well, what is a worldview? A worldview is essentially answering four questions. Where did we come from? Or in other words, the origin of the universe. Why are we here? Uh, meaning, what do I do while I'm here? Morality. And ultimately, where is this whole thing going? Destiny. Eternity. What happens after I die? And all of these have to be coherent. They have to connect, and they cannot contradict one to the other. They all have to flow one with another. They have to be congruent. In other words, to say it in sequence, 
How did I get here? Why am I here? What am I doing? And where is this thing going? You, as a human being, have this question troubled in your heart. You will ask yourself these questions all the time. You'll find yourselves in times of loss. You say, what happens after we die? You'll find yourselves in a predicament asking the question, what's right here? What's ethical here? What's the right decision? What's the wrong decision? You'll begin to talk about morality in a sense of what's good and bad, what people ought to do and what they ought not to do. You have these types of troubling questions in your heart already. Then oftentimes you'll find yourselves in a crossroads, no pun intended, of meaning. Why am I here? You'll find yourself in between jobs and you'll find yourself trying to figure out you got fired from one, uh, you got laid off from another, you, you move from a, a working professional to a stay-at-home mom. You're, you're trying to figure out, man, do, do I continue on? Do I give myself to college? And, and university is in disarray. What do I do? Do I go to a trade? Do I go, why am I here? What am I gifted at? What's my personality? I, I mean, I'm interested in this, but I don't think I could sit in a, a cubicle. I, I, I mean, I find this interesting, but I don't think I have that personality. You begin to ask questions. Why am I here? And before you can answer any of those, you have to determine where do we come from? What's our origin story? How did we get here? Why are we here? What am I doing? And where is this whole thing going? And the book of Genesis is put in the front of this library of books we call the canon of the Bible. It's not the oldest book, but it is the first book. It gets attributed to Moses just like any law or bill gets attributed to a president at the time of their presidency. It doesn't mean that Moses wrote all of the words, but he was in charge of writing it down. And he took the oral story and he had it put to scroll. Things that people shared and people knew, he had it put to the scrolls. And now thousands of years later, this scroll has stood the test of time has puzzled people and has said things far beyond reason, logic, or science in our societies had agreed upon. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? What I mean is, is you're going to have to wrestle with the origin story. You're going to have to wrestle with how we got here. And ultimately, you are going to have questions of who do I believe? Do I believe my local church pastor? I mean, did you hear his accent? That's not, not the most intelligent selling accent that you've heard before. Right now, I'm, I'm going to listen to him about the origins of the universe. Don't take my word for it. Right? There, there are far smarter people than I to, to help us with some of these puzzling questions. But but here's a fascinating thing and why today I want to stop right at the beginning. One verse and one profound verse. One verse that has been echoing for thousands of years that said things, said something 
that not even science agreed on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here's the idea, that the universe actually had a beginning. Do you know that most of science thought that the universe was eternal? It had always existed. This was common science. This was agreed on science. And the reality is, is that when made popular by uh, Stephen Hawking's, uh, the Big Bang Theory was actual scientific theory based on evidence of how we see light. Let me go on to say that there's this verse that says, let there be And yet, through observing light and light ray at a distance, he would extrapolate a theory that is called the Big Bang Theory. And essentially, this would say that the universe had a beginning. This was controversial. This was not always agreed upon. It was not settled science. 97% of all scientists did not agree with this Theory, and I hear there were some dentists that objected to. And yet, this idea that there is a beginning. Now, Richard Dawkins, this popular atheist of the new atheists, who would write a book called The God Delusion, debates uh, very publicly a Christian mathematician from Oxford University named John Lennox. I would encourage you to watch this debate between this prominent atheist, Richard Dawkins, and this prominent Christian who is one of the most intelligent men that you can listen to, John Lennox, a mathematician. And in their debate... Lennox begins to bring up to Richard Dawkins that the Bible was saying that there was a beginning to everything before science ever even came close to accepting that reality. Now, Richard Dawkins' case is that if Christians believe the Bible, they will not be scientific. They will not be good scientists. And yet this has been a part of our church culture for the last 50 years. We of the church have been trying to help our young people pursue careers in the sciences. And, and we've been afraid to, uh, to preach and proclaim the reality and the accuracy and the theology behind the book of Genesis because we're afraid that it will stifle our young people in their pursuits in science. That's Richard Dawkins' claim. Richard Dawkins' claim is that he left his faith because of his discovery of Darwin. And yet we'll dive into all the things Darwin over the next couple of weeks. Today's not that day. And yet... He suggested that he lost his faith because of his discovery of Darwin. And Darwin's motivation was to explain away the appearance of design through natural selection. Let me say that again. That Darwin's motivation was to explain away the appearance of design through natural selection. 
Not denying that there is an appearance of design. Not denying that when you logically look at creation, as Romans 1 will tell us, that God has hidden his invisible attributes in creation, that none of us will be without excuse, that we can look at the created order around us and discover the revelation of who God is. Is. This is a fascinating reality. And this is actually what propagated modern science. This is the explosion of modern science. It came from a group of people that were not Buddhists, not Muslims, not postmodern atheists, but actually a society and a group of people who were fundamentally Christian. When Sir Isaac Newton discovered his three laws of, uh, of physics, he, he did not say, I've discovered these laws, now there's no need for God. It was actually the exact opposite, that through his discovery of these laws, he began to pour praise and adoration to God. Why is it that Christianity, a biblical worldview, propagated the explosion of modern science, it's because they believed that they could find law in nature. Meaning that we expect to find logic. We expect to find math. And isn't math weird? Especially common core math, right? Yeah. I need how many boxes to do this equation? Anyways, uh, and yet the idea that there's language or a code, mathematics, law, that we can deduce and begin to find answers to the equation because it seems as though there is order and law. And if there is order and law, then there must be a legislator. If there is law in nature, there must be a law giver. And so although Richard Dawkins would claim that Christians who believe the Bible cannot be scientific, actually what we've experienced is the exact opposite. That it's actually because of the expansion of the printing press and the Bible in common people's hands, language and expanse of the Bible and this, this, this idea that there is a God, a creator and a designer and I can begin to look at creation. As Romans 1 says, if I look at Creation, I will discover the invisible qualities of God. And yet, Dawkins concedes the argument that yes, the Bible did say that there was a beginning before science did. But he says, well, it either has a beginning or it doesn't. That's like flipping a coin. You got a 50% chance. And so he, he, he begins to uh, kind of make fun of the idea that the Bible says something that was true for thousands, millennia, before modern science would adhere to that. What you're reading today, the believers in the one true God have been reading for millennia, believing that there is a God, and that God is responsible for creation. See, as we go through this book, we're going to wrestle with our worldview. We're going to wrestle with how does that interact with those around us that have a differing worldview from us. 
And how do we gain the tools to even have a conversation about this? How do we remove the fear of being labeled unscientific or unintelligent? And yet, what we should boast in is the intelligence of the universe. What we should boast in is the creativity of the universe. And we should be persistent in our pursuit of truth and actually wrestle with what do I believe? Not just turning the pages and finding parts of the scriptures that I believe. We'll talk about well, how do I read this passage? Is it literal? Well, what do we mean by literal? Is it scientific? What do you mean by science? Because all of these things we have to begin to wrestle with. These words we have to begin to define. And ultimately, my goal over this series is to begin to show us that God has a plan. And God has had a good plan from the beginning. See, what I want to talk to us about, and we'll read it, and we'll talk about the implications of the science behind it, and we'll talk about the implications of our worldview. But what I hope to convey to us is that we would believe that there is a beginning and that God initiated this. See, Dawkins is a biologist, and, and, and so he concedes that, yeah, we don't have our cosmology down. We can talk about biology, and yet we can talk about Darwin's doubt, Stephen Meyer's New York Times bestseller, and how ultimately Darwin had doubt that as we begin to have scientific discoveries that the science would change, that we would confirm his conclusions. And yet, isn't it funny that as we make scientific discoveries, science has a way of sitting on its hands or saying, I never said that. You'll get that later. Because what we have to do if we're going to be scientific is we have to, as we begin to make discoveries, so Dawkins would say, you know what cosmology needs? Cosmology, the study of the origins of the universe. Cosmology needs its Darwin. Do you know that, that, that there was a group of people who did not want the Big Bang Theory to be propagated because they thought that it would give creationism too much clout? And yet we as Christians need to not be afraid of the word Big Bang. It's their scientific way of saying God created everything. In the beginning was light. This light created the expanse of the universe. Let there be light. If you were to watch the Netflix doc documentary, The Theory of Everything with Stephen Hawking's, I find it peculiar because he's tracing out the origins of un the universe from one specific place, one point, this one sense of nothingness. And yet the Bible tells us that God created out of nothing. And yet science has to somehow redefine nothing. They say, well, the there was something. 
because something can't come from nothing. And yet, what we believe is that's absolutely true. That something doesn't come from nothing unless there's an initiator, unless there's a God. At the beginning, God created. God is the initiator. God is the one. And yet, they don't know what happens before the beginning. Even the Bible leaves this open. It doesn't give the definite article. In the beginning, what does that mean? All I know is at the beginning, there was God. God is at the beginning. God is the initiator. God is the one who is responsible for all things. Asher, why don't you come on up and join me? What does this book tell me? Besides getting into the debates of science, the debates of cosmology, biology, Big Bang, Darwin's theory. If I just read this book, if I just read the opening pages, I remove all of that. I'm not trying to get into a debate. I'm not trying to get in an argument. And what I hear are these words that have been initiated and read for thousands of years. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. Or I hear the echoing words of John. See, here's what I want to do is I want to begin to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. It begins to explain for me what we believe is the Bible is one continuous story from beginning to end that finds its place in the person of Jesus. So John writes this, in the beginning was the word. This word is the Greek word logos, which means mind, intelligence, word. And yet we see in the opening pages of Genesis that God spoke, God said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything that was made, made. In Him was life, and He was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What's John saying? From the very start, God has had a plan. From the very start, God is the initiator. What's he saying? God, through Jesus, has destined to give us life. It's good news from the start. It's not plan B. It's not back up and punt and let's regroup. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was the life of men. See, sometimes we we put forth this adage. We say things like, yeah, I found God. Really? We'll say, when when I found Jesus, friend, he was the one there in the beginning. 
He was the one there at the start of your story. He was the one initiating one who organized this. He's the one who brought you here. He's the one giving life. This is how we'll know what love is. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we'll know what love is. Not that we first loved God, but that God first loved us. In the beginning, God So what does that mean? That's good news, friend, because you're not that motivated. You're not that capable. You're not that creative. You used to be. And then the sediment of sin and doing your way versus God's way begin to bury that genius that was inside of you. Do you know that when you're a child, according as, as Pastor Erwin McManus would say often, when you're a child, you know you are a linguistic savant. You just learn language, right? Especially if you're a girl. I had boys. They, they didn't talk. It's like they didn't talk at two, three, four. I'm like, you're eight. Do you say something? My two-year-old girl, can you stop talking for a moment? And yet, if you were to take a child born in Santa Barbara and drop them in the middle of South Korea as a child, they'll learn the language. What? If you were to drop them, take someone from another country from Mexico from wherever they come here you'll find it teachers you'll find this right they pick it up that's why they always say hey you want to teach a kid a foreign language teach them teach them when they're language is the most complicated thing on the planet friend It's the highest form of intelligence. And you're telling me that a child can learn it when they're... And the kingdom of God is likened to a little child. And all of a sudden, the language of the universe, the genius and creativity, let us make man in our image. Friends, over this series, I pray that your eyes and your heart will be enlightened and open to the Word of God all around us, hidden in His creation. And here's what you think. You think you found God. Friend, He came after you. He's the one initiating this. And he's better at it than we are. And that's good news from the start. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace that you would help us in all things. 
Help us strengthen our faith. Help us really wrestle with the question. And Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, lead us and guide us. Help us to answer the question, how did we get here? Why are we here? What are we doing? And where is this whole thing going? Help us as we actually find logical and reasonable conclusions. Let us submit to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise? Amen.